doing today? I'm so glad that you guys were able to overcome the soggy Sunday that you woke up with. I know that on, on days like today, it's easy to look at that second cup of coffee in the couch and say, yep, I don't think I'm getting any further than that, so I applaud you. Um, welcome to TBA. Uh, my name is Paul Sternagel. I'm one of the, the pastors here on the pastor team. I uh, want to say Merry Christmas to you all. Uh, I don't know if you've realized it quite yet, but we are 10 days away from Christmas. Now, for some in this room, a major alarm just went off in our head, and we realized, holy cow, I've got to get my butt in action. Uh, but I realized that some of you realize there's only 10 days left, you haven't bought a thing, and you're going to continue to push that, that snooze button for about six, I see a nodding head, six or seven more days, I got, I'll, I'll just push that snooze button. Here's my, my word of comfort for you guys today. Amazon Prime has guaranteed two-day shipping. Two-day shipping, they guarantee it. it has to be, it's in the contract, they wrote it down. Um, we here at TBA, over the last couple of weeks, have been looking at the gifts that we have in our life, the gifts that we will receive, the gifts that we will give. Uh, some of those gifts are white elephant gifts, the things that we don't really like to receive or like to give. We, it's just kind of one of those wow, we don't know what went wrong here, or maybe it was an intentional, this is a white Christmas, uh, white elephant Christmas party. But we do get those gifts that we were not expecting. Today we're going to be talking about extravagant gifts. What does it look like to give as well as receive extravagant gifts? Next Sunday, we're going to be having our come and go service where we're going to be unpacking and letting you guys experience some of the gifts that the three wise men brought. <clears throat> the three wise men brought. The gold, the frankincense, the myrrh. Please come with your families, come with a group of friends, come with your small group, come by yourself. We'll pair you up with some other folks and uh, take that journey and experience a little bit more of what it looks like when we say that the, uh, the three wise men came and brought those extravagant gifts. On Christmas morning, I'm sorry, Christmas Eve, we're going to be having our Christmas Eve service from at 3.30 as well as at 5 o'clock. Um, for those of you who do not like spoilers, here's your spoiler. You may want to throw your fingers in your ears. The perfect gift is Jesus. Okay? All right, you can take your fingers out. I didn't see anyone there. I, I guess we all kind of understand that when we come to a Christmas Eve service, the church is naturally going to say that it's Jesus is the perfect gift. Um, I hope that you can uh, come for... for some of those experiences. Last week, as uh, Brian Stiverson was talking about white elephant gifts, he closely looked at the story of Mary and Joseph. Mary and Joseph are a couple young kids. They are engaged to be married. Uh, they are pure. They are righteous. They are good kids. And out of the blue, an angel appears to Mary and says, Mary, you have found favor with God. And your gift is you are now going to be pregnant and you are going to give birth to the Son of God, the Messiah, the Christ child. Brian was unpacking a little bit of the fact that this moment for them is a white elephant moment. Many of us in our lives will have those moments that it is just full of chaos. It is full of crisis. It is full of a crazy moment that can be explained no other way but white elephant. But Brian also mentioned that in those moments of crisis, in those moments of chaos, these are the times 
where God is looking to do something big. In the instance of Mary and Joseph, when Christ comes, God is creating a new covenant with all of mankind. This is a miraculous moment. This is something that is unprecedented. It's unique. It's one of a kind. We realize that God, even in our moments of chaos, is at work. God, even in our moments of crisis, is trying to hand us a unique moment where he is trying to do something specific. As Brian was talking last week, I couldn't help but think of my own life. Uh, I was thinking back to last April. Uh, Meredith and I had been going through a, an international adoption process through, in, in Ethiopia. And we took a lot of time, a lot of effort. We had to do a lot of paperwork. We had to do a lot of background checks. Social workers came to our house and inspected every possible inch of our home, making sure that we weren't crazy or nuts or in some way unsavory. We got the, we got the check in that box that we were good to go. We took a lot of time, preparation, emotion, money, and our, our agency closed its doors. There was a lot of time, money, emotion that had been spent, and it felt like a moment of crisis. It was a moment of chaos. This was a white elephant moment. We had been handed something that just looked like, I don't understand what we're supposed to do with this. Now, I'm not sure if you're aware of this or not, but when people get into a similar situation that we were in, there is the possibility of going to the social worker, talking to them and saying, hey, we realize that there are a lot of local children who will come up for adoption at a moment's notice. And the arrangement is that you will be on that call list because we know that you have already gone through all your background checks, we know that you've gone through all of the paperwork, and we, we know that you are ready to go at a moment's notice. And this past April, we received the phone call. It was a Tuesday afternoon, right around noon. Uh, Meredith was at work. She's the one who received the, the phone call. And she came home and said, hey, we have, we have a situation we need to talk about. I said, oh, yeah, what's that? He said, well, there's, a, there's a, a little boy who's two weeks old. He's ready to come home today. He's five hours away. Do we, wanna, do we want to bring Judah home? Huh. That was, a strange, that, was, that was a long conversation. We decided to go ahead and say yes. We did similar to what Joseph and Mary did, and we said, hey, let it be. We want this to happen. We're going to go forward with this. We drive... Uh, at, at about 5 o'clock, we drive down to Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and on the way, we stop at Target to buy a car seat because we realize we can't take this baby home without a car seat. When, when we got there, it was about 9.30 or so, we signed a few papers, and because we already had all of our background information done, it was a 30-minute sign for the baby, take him home. We got back at 2 a.m., and my sister-in-law had gone to Target. She bought some, some little outfits. She bought some diapers. She bought some baby formula. And it was good enough for us to get through those first couple of days. The first, the first night that Judah was home, he slept in a laundry basket. That's how prepared we actually were. But hey, it worked. Don't judge. Um, 
Um, but here's, here's, here's something I haven't told you yet. Three weeks pr- prior to Judah coming home, I had lost my job. I am 100% certain that there were people in our lives who were saying, what are they thinking? This is the worst possible moment that you could ever bring a newborn child home. How are you going to pay for this? There were nights where I would wake up with Judah, and any of you who have children already, you know that there are jitters, there are, there are butterflies in the basket that come with becoming a parent. But there are moments when, when I would wake up in the middle of the night with Judah, I would go in, change the diaper, you're trying to not wake him, too, wake him up too much, you give him the bottle, and you're sitting there rocking in the, rocking in the chair, and as I was talking to Judah, I said, don't worry, buddy, we got you, we're going to take care of you, we got you, we got this covered. But then, in that moment of honesty, I was honest to Judah, I said, but I don't know how we're going to do it. But we don't know, I don't know how we're going to do it. Meredith and I were 100%, we, we 100% knew that God is faithful. He had a plan that we didn't see. But in that moment, all, you, all I could see was chaos. All that I could see was crisis. This is a crazy moment. This is a white elephant moment. We do realize, though, that God uses this white elephant moment to create a new covenant with all of mankind. God is up to something miraculous here. Today we're going to be talking about extravagant gifts. Uh, when I was a little kid, uh, I remembered seeing this, uh, This, uh, by the way, I'm the fourth one from the right, um, pretty scrawny little dude. Um, I remember I saw this commercial for this car that it was about this size. I remember holding it in my hands. It was about this size to my touch. And when you push down on the back of it, it the, the spring inside would load up and it would just shoot off, take off like a rocket. And when you put it on the board, I realized that you could, you could jump about 12 G.I. Joes before it starts knocking people down. Uh, my brother and I, we both got the same car and we also were, we were able to figure out the limit. We were, we were trying to test the limits of this car, obviously. And we would go up on our roof. I don't, I don't encourage that for anyone, just a disclaimer. We would go up on our roof. We would, load, we would push down on the back, spring load the back of the car. It would take off. The first time it went over the edge, did a nosedive. And when it hit the ground, it shattered into about 15 different pieces. And so that the car lasted maybe, maybe two weeks. Um, I was one, I don't, know if, I don't know if you guys can relate to this, but when, when Christmas time came up, when a birthday came up, I was one who actually knew all of my presents ahead of time, not because it was you know, disclosed by my parents. I would go in and find the hiding spot, which was always the same spot. It was in my mom's closet. If you're going to find a hiding spot, make it be a good one. Um, I would go in, find out my presents, if that didn't, if I couldn't find them all out that way, if some got wrapped, I would hold them up to the light, see if I could see through it, kind of balance on one leg to see if, you know, the balance would change at all, if it would give any clues. And by the way, I was not above unwrapping a gift, finding out what the gift was, and then rewrapping it. 
And it was pretty badly done. I mean, it was obvious that someone had been rifling through this package. And yeah, it was just clear as day. Um, To me as a kid, that was my extravagant gift. It was that shiny car. It was that shiny car that only lasted two weeks because it was built poorly. I mean, let's be honest about it. When we see the commercials on, on, uh, on TV, how many of you feel as though they're trying to say, if you don't buy the perfect gift, if you don't get that perfect eye gadget, that gold jewelry, the golf accessory, it's almost like your family's going to disown you if, if you don't get just the right things. I'm pretty sure that kids' self-worth is not so delicate that if you get them the wrong gift, they're going to be on a couch someday telling, telling someone just how bad a parent you were because you got the wrong gift when they were five. Over the years, my perspective on extravagant gifts has changed tremendously. I'm not, I'm not certain of how many of you are aware of this, but there's a book called The Five Love Languages. It's by Gary Chapman. I highly recommend it for everyone. This book talks about the five primary ways that we both receive love as well as show our love to other people. It's words of affirmation, quality time, gift giving, acts of service, physical touch. Now, over the years, Meredith and I have both realized, well, she is like very high on the gift giving uh, spectrum. And for me, gift giving almost is its bottom tier. I mean, I've had to learn how to show that for Meredith over the years. I had to get better in my gift giving. But we both realized that quality time, just time where we can be together, it's unscripted, it's not, there's not a whole lot of structure around it. Maybe it's going to a new restaurant that we've never been to. Maybe it's being able to, to explore or discover a place that we've never been. A couple years ago, one of the perfect gifts that we ever received as a couple was from my brother-in-law. He gave us tickets to the Biltmore Estate. He said, you guys can just go explore the entire grounds. You get, you get all the access to see all the different levels and all the different areas. Go have a good time. We were living in North Carolina at the time, so it wasn't too far of a drive. We got a little getaway out of it. And for us... It was perfect. As a follow-up to my story from before, my moment of crisis, my moment of chaos, there was an extravagant gift that was given to us when Judah came home. There were friends and family who knew us well enough. They realized that I was out of a job, that Judah had just come home, and that we did not have most of what we needed. Sure, my my sister-in-law's gift got us through the first couple of days. We had clothes to put on his back. We had food to feed him for those first couple of days with a canister of baby formula. But the truly extravagant gift came within about a week of when Judah came home. Friends of ours from from where Meredith was working, she was working at a a Christian school where everyone's lives were, were knitted together well. They knew us, we knew them, And they knew that, all right, we need to act, and we need to act right now. One lady worked in a doctor's office, in a pediatrician's office, and she brought us this case of baby formula. We had friends from 
as far away as Virginia and New Jersey and Ohio, sending us clothes, big, you know, big boxes of baby clothes, not just for infant wear, but for six months, for three months, for all the way up to a, a year even. Judah still is, we're still pulling out of that pile. The baby formula that, that we received from our friend lasted us for over six months. It lasted us until we got here to Florida, and then some. I don't know if you guys have priced baby formula, but I'm pretty sure it's made out of gold. One of, one of Meredith's friends, who is unmarried, doesn't have children, I'm not really sure how this got on her radar, but she gave us a thousand diapers and a thousand wipes. And not just all infant, it was infant, newborn, ones, twos, threes. So it was the gift that just kept, that just kept on giving. Again, those diapers just ran out recently. We were extravagantly given to. All this to say is that extravagant gifts are not what we always think they will look like. It's not always necessarily going to be that shiny thing under the tree. Why have we been given so generously? We have been blessed so that we can be a blessing. A couple weeks ago, uh, there was a, a prayer team that was formed here at TBA, and uh, each week before the services, we, we, we pray together and put a blessing over the, over the message. Um, but Orlando Gonzalez, um, he walked up to me a couple... I've only known him for a couple weeks, and each time when he comes up to me, he looks at me and he says, Paul, I'm praying for you. I'm praying for your family, and I'm praying for the ministry here at TBA. Have you ever had someone tell you something that you didn't quite believe what they were saying? I mean, their intention was good, but the words that are coming out of their mouth doesn't really necessarily match up to what you can see behind, behind their eyes. The, the eyes are the windows of the soul, right? When I look in Orlando's eyes, and when he tells me that he's praying for me, when he's praying for my family, when he's praying for the ministry here at TBA... I can see it. I can see that he means it. I can see that he wakes up daily and is consistently praying for me, for my family, for this ministry. Today is the last day that we can uh, accept the gifts for the, uh, the angel tree gifts for Highland City. And I noticed that Orlando, what really called my attention to Orlando, was that over the last couple of weeks, some of the gifts were, were rolling in. And in his gifts... He said, well, I've tucked this little note inside each one of the gifts that I'm giving, and I want some help with it because my English is not great. Could you help me translate it and make it flow a little better? Sure. As we, as we took a look at the notes, it was just a little note to the child that he's sending the gift to, something like, hey, I'm praying for you. I hope that Christ comes into your life. I hope that you start a relationship with Jesus. Very simple but to me, something rang true because, I, because of the little that I know about Orlando. This is what it looks like when you are trying to give extravagantly because you, because you have received extravagantly. We are blessed to be a blessing. I spoke with Orlando just a couple days ago and he was telling me a little bit more about his story. 
And he says about four years ago, he was driving to Orlando to pick up his wife from the airport. While he was driving, he was praying. And God came to him in a very real moment where he heard God say, he said, Orlando, you are a salesman, and sometimes you use lies to sell your product. Sometimes you stretch the truth. But what you need to do is you need to start telling people my truth. He says from that time on, his life has been pivoted. It has changed. His perspective is not even the same as it was before. He says that he held anger in his heart. And because he had been shown forgiveness, he has to extend that forgiveness. He has been shown grace. He has to extend that grace to everyone else and pass that gift on. A lot of us, uh, how many people remember the, uh, the, the show Seinfeld, one of the best shows ever created? Okay, good, a, a good number of us. In one of the episodes, Elaine goes to a Christmas party and she's given a Boggle Jr. Christmas present and her first impulse without thought is she says, I'm going to go and re-gift this because I don't want this. This obviously isn't meant for me. I can just give it to someone else. I can pawn it off on somebody else. Many of us have something like that, that we've been given a gift that just does not fit at all. Um, I was given this book a couple years ago by my mom. Um, I looked at the cover. I kind of read the back of the, the back of the sheet, and I said, wow, this is a swing and a miss. This is not for me. I don't know who it's for, but I know it's not for me. And so I kind of decided then and there that the first possible opportunity where I don't know what to get for somebody, if I'm going to put zero thought into something and be able to put a check in a box, this sucker's getting wrapped up. And uh, as I think about it, the staff Christmas party is this Friday, so it might land there just in case I can't find something else. Um, Brian Legg's like, yeah, I want that. That's right. We think of regifting in a very bad light. We think of, of getting rid of something that we don't want, something that doesn't fit, something that was not meant for us. But we need to rethink regifting. When you think about the grace that you've been given, the forgiveness that you've been given, the right reaction to that is to give it away as much as possible. When I get to know Orlando better, and I see that his entire life has shifted, it has pivoted on its head, I realize that this is what a life and a heart looks like when it is gripped by the grace of Christ. And it's looking to give back with all of his thoughts, all of his, all of his words, all of his actions, all of his intentions. Is he perfect? Absolutely not. But he walks with a God who is. God has lavishly given to us a gift that is extraordinary and extravagant. It's truly unique and one of a kind. It is so that your life will be changed forever and that the way you in which 
the way in which you view your entire world spins on its head. Now, many of us, we think to ourselves, but wait, I don't have a whole lot to give. Some of us might be thinking, I haven't even received the gift. Some of us may be thinking, well, what is it going to cost? How much time will it take? My schedule's already packed, and my, my bank account is thin. Think about this, 2 Corinthians 9, 8 through 11, this is the message version. God can pour on the blessings in astonishing ways so that you are ready for anything and everything, more than just ready to do what needs to be done. As one psalmist puts it, he throws cautions to the wind, giving to the needy in reckless abandon. His right living, right giving ways, they never run out, they never wear out. This most generous God who gives seed to the farmer that becomes bread for your meals is more than extravagant with you. He gives you something that you can then give away, which grows into fully formed lives, robust in God, wealthy in every way, so that you can be generous in every way, producing with us the great praise of God. Many of us look at this gift right here. By the way, this was not wrapped by me. You can look at it and you can absolutely know that this is not a Paul Sternagel creation. Um, this has beautiful wrapping paper. It has ribbon. It has bows. I don't even know what you call this. This is way too frou-frou for me. Um, many of us look at this package and we say, before I can give my faith away, before I can give my life away, my life has to resemble this package. Everything has to be put into its perfect spot so that it's ready to go and so that it's show ready. What if people look at my life and they realize, wow, they don't have it all together. This guy still gets angry at his kids. He still gets depressed. He still hangs out with all the wrong people. Many of us are waiting for that moment to where our life will come together in a way that it looks absolutely perfect before we even think about giving any of it away. Perspective changes when you realize that all the money in your bank account belongs to God. Perspective changes when you realize that every second on the clock belongs to God. Perspective changes when every one of my intentions needs to be going to what God wants me to do and he's going to put people in my life so that I can show that. Jesus one day is, is walking through the crowds, he's teaching his disciples and he sees a widow throw in a couple mites into the, uh, into the, the collection at church. And he says to his disciples, this widow right here with her two pennies has given more than everybody else. She has been more generous than everybody else. She, out of her, out of her meager ability, gave everything. I can't promise that it's not going to be uncomfortable. 
but there's nothing that needs to be added to the calendar. There's nothing that needs to be changed in many areas of our life when we realize the people that we meet at work, the people that we see at, at school, the people that we bump into at Little League, when we start sharing our life, they're going to quickly see that you are not perfect, but you walk with a God who is. They're going to quickly see the holes of your life and you're going to openly admit, I don't have it all together, but I walk with a perfect God. I walk with a God who, who has redeemed my situation. We kind of bump into uh, some strange portions of the Christmas story because we re- as we look at some of the, the cast of characters who, who show up for the Christmas story, we have shepherds who are tending their flock by night, which that means they haven't bathed in a while. They are stinky. They are tired. They have really, really long beards because they haven't shaved in a while. Did I mention that they stink and that they are... They're, they're kind of the nobodies of, of society. The angel comes and tells them to, to come and visit with this holy family, see the Christ child that has just been born. And what do they do afterwards? They go, they tell it on the mountain. They can't be contained. Life has just changed. You have to know about this. I have to tell you about this. The three wise men, they're kind of oddballs too. It's kind of hard to place how they fit into this story because they're living in Arabia or Asia. They're traveling for a couple years. These are guys who are not necessarily, they're not Christians because Christians aren't even available yet. Um, They're not Jewish these are learned men who understand, you know, they understand mathematics, astronomy, philosophy. They understand religious history. And when they see the star that's born in the sky, they immediately know the light goes off and they know that the Messiah that was prophesied in the Old Testament, they realize it's coming about right now. We have to go be a part of this. They bring lavish, extraordinary gifts with them. They bring gold, frankincense, myrrh because they realize that they are that they are going to to visit with the holy family this is the christ child let's examine these gifts for a little bit gold as of a couple just a couple days ago it was trading for $1237 an ounce for every ounce of gold you have that's $1237 worth of stuff. That's an extravagant, extraordinary, lavish gift, but it seems extremely crazy to bring it to an infant. They realize that Joseph and Mary, they're going to have some bills soon. They need to pay for stuff. They have hardship coming because they are about to flee to Egypt because people are going to be trying to kill them. I'm sure they didn't know that ahead of time, but their gift meets the need before it even arises. Frankincense. Now, when you say, when you say frankincense, typically, okay, I think, I don't really know what that is because that's pretty much fallen out of where we live today. In the second half of the word, you have the word incense. So it gives us a little bit of a clue there. Frankincense is a resin that smells lemony, it smells 
like pine. It's kind of like the pine saw of the day. When you put it down, when you burn it, it gives off an odor, it gives off a scent that is pleasing. In the days of the Old Testament, as people were worshiping, as they came to worship God, everything that they did in that service was going towards God. The words that were coming out of their mouth, the things that they were doing, even the smell, they wanted to provide a beautiful, pleasing smell for God, so they burned incense. In the temple, in the tabernacle, there was an altar of incense. Psalm 141 verse 2 says this, May my prayer be set before you like incense. May the lifting of my hands be like the evening sacrifice. When they came to worship, it was from head to toe, using all the senses. How can I realize more fully that I am in the presence of the living God? Lastly, we have myrrh, another strange, another strange gift to bring a baby because it's another resin similar to frankincense, but its application was completely different. What they used this for was embalming. What? It's also used as a sedative. If you read the crucifixion story, Jesus is offered a, a wine that has myrrh in it so that it will dull his senses. He doesn't take this myrrh, he doesn't take this concoction because he wants to be present with exactly what is going on right there and then. He wants to be in the moment to know that he is sacrificing himself for our sin. After his death, when they are going to embalm him, they're using myrrh once again. They're bringing myrrh, but they find that the tomb is empty. Think about this from the, the wise man's perspective, though. This is a very strange gift to give an infant. It makes no sense whatsoever. Where do we go from here? Over the next couple of weeks, I'm sorry, over the next 10 days, we are going to be amping up this celebration of the birth of Christ. And just as Brian Stuyvesant was saying last week, this is the symbol of a new covenant between God and all of humanity. If we are to know that our lives are the extravagant gift, we still have to ask that question, what do I have to give? For those who may not be able to see, if you look at this vase closely, you'll notice that there are a lot of little holes. There are, all, there are a lot of little um, imperfections. It's broken vase. If you were to pour water in it, it would just all spill out. It's not useful for anything. Many of us may be, asking, may be coming to the, to the table with a life that looks exactly like this. It's broken. It's in chaos. It's in a moment of crisis. It feels like a white elephant gift. It's useful for nothing. But if we are to take the extravagant gift that God gives us through Christ and put that light inside of this vase, it is through those broken areas in our life where Christ shines.
our broken life becomes a beacon of light in the dark world. We freely admit to people that we are not perfect, but we walk with a God who is. Let's agree in prayer.